Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. We're in Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, and today we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. Colossians 1, uh, 13 through 23. The first week in this series, we were reminded that salvation, that relationship with God and eternal life does not come from knowing the right things about God. It comes from being in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in this city of Colossae, we've been challenged to ask ourselves several questions. Have I received Jesus? Am I resting in Jesus as my Savior? Am I growing in Jesus as my Lord? Is my life being changed by my relationship with Jesus? And is that relationship and is that growth expressed in my prayer life? And specifically in my prayer life as it relates to my fellow believers, to my church. And today brings us to another question. And it's one that is crucial to each of us as we are seeking to grow in Christ. And it's crucial to all of us as we seek to fulfill our mission together as a church. Now, we talk about it all the time and we say it all the time, but I'm still nervous every time I ask it that you aren't going to say it loud and clear. What is the mission of Back Creek Church? That was way better than I thought it was going to be. Thank you. We understand the individual pieces of that statement of our mission, which really is just a a restatement of Jesus's great commission to the whole church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. We're here. We exist to connect people with the hope of the gospel. And we, we know what it means to connect. It means to bring together, to establish relationship. And we know who people are. Some of us like to be around people. Some of us sometimes like to be around people. Some of us rarely like to be around people, but we know what we mean when we say people. But for us to grow to be more like Jesus as individuals, and for us to grow in fulfilling our mission that Jesus has given us, we have to have crystal clarity on that last phrase. The hope of the gospel. So that's our big question for today. What is the hope of the gospel? What is the hope of the gospel? Well, the hope of the gospel is is something that is found in every part of scripture. It's expressed all through God's revelation of himself. But this passage that we're going to read today is the only place that you're going to find the specific phrase, the hope of the gospel. And guess what? The hope of the gospel, like everything else, is all about Jesus. So look with me at Colossians chapter one, verses 13 through 23. And if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. He, that is the Father, God the Father, he has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is the son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you for how you have just spoken to us. Through the words of a man who wrote, who dictated to his assistant, Timothy, who wrote a couple of thousand years ago, You spoke through his words to uh, an individual local church. And yet, in your wisdom and in your grace and your love, you made these words universally applicable to your church in all times and all places. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would impress on your people this local expression of your global body, Back Creek Church, that that you would please today show us clearly the hope of the gospel. Help us to apprehend it. Help us to articulate it to those who are yet without it. Help us to love it and to make it the very tone and tenor of our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. In 2021... Uh, Harvard University surveyed over 2,500 people between the ages of 18 and 29. Now, I'm 43, uh, so 29 is exactly uh, one Ella Carr uh, of my life away from 29. Um, And yet, as I recall, during those years between high school graduation and the birth of my second daughter, the world seemed like a hopeful place. The world seemed like a a hopeful place. Now, that's not to say that very difficult and terrible things didn't happen. Nationally, we went through 9-11, and we went through a a terrible uh, housing and economic crisis. Personally, there was the loss of dear loved ones for me, particularly grandparents. There was uh, multiple jobs that I had to do to make ends meet for my family, and there was a lot of uncertainty. But it also seemed to me in those years between 18 and 29 that life was brimming with possibility, that the world was hard but good, and that the future was bright. 
And in this Harvard survey, 51% of young Americans between 18 and 29 said that at least several days in the previous two weeks, they had felt down, depressed, or hopeless. A startling 68% said they had little energy. 59% said they had trouble sleeping. 52% found little pleasure in doing things. 49% had a poor appetite over overeating. 48% had trouble concentrating. 32% were moving so slowly or were so fidgety to the point that others noticed. And 28% had had at least thoughts of self-harm. The people that we see, if we're over that age, as having their whole lives ahead of them, are right here, right now, really struggling with hopelessness. I'm not sure I want to see what the surveys say about bald guys in their 40s. (laughs) But institutions like Harvard are looking for the sources of this hopelessness. And they're looking for ways to solve our crisis. And I think that there is a lot of helpful advice on how to manage or reduce at an individual level some of these struggles. And I want to clearly speak to you if you are wrestling with feelings like this on a regular basis that we are for you and that we are here for you. We would encourage you to please reach out to, to, to me, to uh, our associate pastor, Matt Mantu, to uh, one of our staff or our elders or our deacons or just someone you trust in the congregation and share with them what is going on in your life. If these are things that are persistent in your life, then we would urge you to please speak to your medical doctor and seek a, a counselor who can help you to work through uh, some of these issues of hopelessness. But I also want to be clear with us that ultimately, ultimately, the hopelessness that we encounter in the world and the hopelessness that we encounter in our individual lives, it's a symptom. And it's a symptom rooted in something much deeper than our circumstances. The truth is that we live in a world that is disconnected from its creator and from its intended purpose. And apart from reconciliation between creator and creation, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes rightly and repeatedly tells us the truth about life in this world. You know what it says in the Bible? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I love that the word of God is truthful, is honest with us. That our experience of hopelessness in this world is real. That it is valid. And that apart from the hope that only comes from him, it's all there is. The hope of the gospel is the only hope for meaning in this world because it is the only hope for reconciliation between creator and creation. It's the only hope of purpose and peace and joy and freedom and a future where all the wrong things are made right. The hope of the gospel is the only hope for the universe and it is the only hope for me and for you. But see, 
unlike all of the ways that Harvard and other institutions are seeking to find a solution for the hopelessness that is so prevalent in our world, the hope of the gospel does not begin with us. The ultimate answer to legitimate hopelessness has never been introspection or doing the work or changing our circumstances. The ultimate hope for us and for our neighbors and for the whole world can only begin with the one who is above everything. The one who is above everything. And Paul leaves no question about who that is. It's the one who made him from an enemy to an apostle, from a persecutor of Christians to the greatest Christian missionary in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. And in this passage, Paul roots the hope of the gospel firmly and exclusively in the identity of Jesus. And he makes several powerful claims about who Jesus is. And we're going to walk through those briefly. The first one is, he is the beloved son of God. Jesus is the beloved son of God. Now I have a, a multiple choice question for you. What is more likely to kill you? Six alcoholic drinks a day, obesity, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, or loneliness. Those all sound pretty bad, but scientists are repeatedly telling us that the most deadly of all of those things is loneliness. So we were created for relationship. We were made for connection. We were made to love and to be loved. We need it as much as we need oxygen to breathe so that we can survive. The Beatles expressed this prevalent aspect of hopelessness in our world with the question, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? They come from here. They come from here. They come from a world disconnected from its creator and from its original purpose. And the hope of the gospel is that God is love and that he loves. That God is love and that he loves. That at his very essence and in his very nature, God is relationship. God is connection. God is love. How? Because he is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three persons, this one God, eternally and perfectly and intimately and intimately love one another. There is an indestructible, inseparable connection among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes as the eternally beloved Son of God to show us that God loves and wants reconciliation and relationship with his creatures, with us. We read it from John earlier. God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son. The hope of the gospel is that God is love and that he loves and that he loves you. The second claim that Paul makes is that he is the image of the invisible God. Not long ago, uh, before Back Creek, I, I served a church where uh, there was one brother who suddenly and inexplicably lost his sight. And this was an emotionally crushing reality 
for this man. And he sank into a deep hopelessness and a tremendous struggle against it because he had no answers for the darkness, the literal darkness that was all around him. Emotional and spiritual darkness began to enter his soul. And when God created the first humans and he created them for relationship with himself to be loved and to love, he came to them in the garden. He spoke with them audibly and he walked with them in the cool of the day. Even though the Bible tells us that God is invisible, and I love the way that the children's catechism says, can you see God? The answer is no, but he always sees me. The shorter catechism says that God is spirit and has not a body like men. Even though God is invisible, he made himself known. He made himself seen by those he loved. And when they went their own way, When Adam and Eve rejected God and rebelled against him, they were relationally and covenantally disconnected from him. And it's like they and we, as their children, went blind. We could no longer see the one who made us and loves us. And the hope of the gospel is that Jesus, this man who came to a real time in a real place in history, that Jesus makes the invisible God visible. The apostle John says in chapter one of his gospel, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, he has made him known. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. This is what moved the former godless and hopeless slave trader, John Newton, to write some of the words to one of our most favorite hymns. He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The next claim that Paul makes is that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Every other year, Ligonier Ministries, working together with Lifeway Christian Resources, produces a survey to American evangelical Christians to determine the state of theology in the U.S., And the last one that they did showed us that 65% of self-professed evangelical Christians in the study agreed with this statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. What that tells us is that well over half of the people who claim to follow Jesus don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God. He is co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. There was never a time when Jesus, the eternal Son, was not. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn of creation? It doesn't mean that he was created. Paul is actually referring to the same concept that we find in Psalm 89, verse 27, when the Lord says of King David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. David was in the middle of history. He wasn't the firstborn of all the kings of the earth. He was the highest and most supreme of all the kings of the earth up to that point. This expression means that Jesus is supreme over all creation, the King and the Lord of everything. The hope of the gospel is the one that who is love and came to make God visible is also the Lord of everything that exists and everything that happens in all of creation, including your life.
And not only is he the Lord of all things, he's also the source of all things. The next claim Paul makes is that he is the creator of everything and the one for whom everything exists. He says, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And what this means to you right now is that you are not an accident That you are not the random result of a mindless, aimless, purposeless process of evolution. You are not the product of chance plus time. You are not a meaningless and hopeless construct of particles. You were thought of and lovingly created. Psalm 139 tells us that you were knit together in your mother's womb by Jesus. And not only did he make you, the way you look, your personality your gifts and your strengths, the essential you, he not only made you, he made you for himself. Jesus wants you to exist and Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you here and he wants you in relationship with him. He enjoys and delights in you. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus made you for himself. The next claim makes is that he is before everything. Like firstborn over creation, this means that Jesus is both chronologically and logically before all things. Everything that ever had a beginning had its beginning in him and from him. Therefore, he is chronologically before everything. And he is supreme over everything that he has made. Therefore, he is logically before and above everything. The hope of the gospel is that the one who is love and came to make God visible is the Lord of everything that exists and is your creator who made you for himself and that he comes before everything. The hope of the gospel is that the one who is before everything is for you. The next claim that Paul makes is that he holds everything together. He holds everything together. Part of the hopelessness of the world is that it feels like everything is falling apart. The poet William Butler Yeats in the wake of World War I felt like the end of all things must be near. And he actually wrote a poem that was about the hopelessness that he felt in the face of this. And yet there was a glimmer uh, in this poem of hope. It's even titled The Second Coming. But in that poem of lament, he wrote these words about the hopelessness that we can feel. He said, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. You ever feel that way? That most everything you you put together eventually falls apart? You know, that's not just a feeling. The second law of thermodynamics tells us about the empirically observable reality of entropy, that things inevitably and naturally decline toward disorder. Isn't that hopeful? That like everything in the universe eventually declines toward disorder? That seems hopeless. And while that seems hopeless, we don't have to be hopeless. Because in Christ, all things are held together. He is the sustainer of creation. He's got the whole world in his hands. And he's not merely letting it spin into chaos and oblivion. All that is damaged and broken and disordered, he is making new. He is at work restoring all creation. 
But because this process is imperceptible and so often hidden from our eyes, it's easy to ignore. But here's the evidence. If you are in Christ today, you know that he made you new. You know that he took a spiritually dead person and he made you alive. You know that he took someone who was in slavery to sin and he liberated you and set you free. You know that you who were once without hope and without God in the world, he gave you hope and peace and love and freedom and joy in him. Not all things fall apart. He holds all things together. And if he is holding you together, and you can have sure hope that he is holding everything else together even when it feels like it's falling apart. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus holds everything together. The next claim that Paul makes is that he is the head of the body, the church. Of the everything which Jesus Christ is creator of and Lord of and of everything that he is sustaining and redeeming, there is one thing that is a treasure to him above everything else except for the glory of the Father, and that is his church. He is her groom, and she is his bride. He is her head, and she is his body. Jesus loves his church. And as we saw last week, the church is not a building. It is not an organization with employees. It is not a budget or a slogan. The church is a people. It's us. It is a people who recognize the Lord of all creation is the Lord of them individually and corporately, that he is building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that we have an indestructible hope in the head and king of the church. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus loves his church, his people. And the last claim that Paul makes in this section of the passage is he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of officiating a great number of funerals and graveside services. And every time we gather at the graveside to commit a believer's remains to the ground, I say these words. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, we commend to Almighty God, our brother, and we commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He died, and behold, he is alive forevermore, and he now holds the keys of death and Hades. He won the victory over death for us. So here's what it means for us. The very worst thing, the thing that is the end of all hopes, is no longer a threat to us. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. It is not mere optimism that things are going to get better in this world. It's not mere optimism that there is some better place on the other side of this life. It is a sure and certain hope that the one who is love, the one who makes the invisible God visible, the one who is Lord over all creation, who made us for himself, who holds all things together, especially his church, is the same one who rose from the dead and guarantees you the resurrection from the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting because the hope of the gospel is that death will not have the last word. Why? Because the one who is above everything has already done everything. 
Paul says, in him is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How? Well, because he is both truly and fully God and human. Paul says, in him, the fullness, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he is the only one qualified, therefore, to reconcile human creatures with their creator. Now, how did he do that? Paul says, he made peace by the blood of his cross. That human beings alienated themselves from God, that we broke the connection relationally and covenantally with God by rebelling against him, by rejecting him, by going our own way. We call it sin. And that God so loved us that he was unwilling to leave us in our sins and the consequences of our sins temporally and eternally. And so God himself came into the world. His name is Jesus Christ, the beloved son. And he came to reconcile us to God. And how did he do that? He did that by restoring the honor that we failed to keep. He did it by providing a righteousness that we could never produce. He did it by dying the death that we deserved and receiving the judgment and wrath of God that we had earned. He did it by rising again from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, so that we might have eternal life and resurrection. Jesus reconciled us to God in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead, but he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, why must he be a true and righteous man? It answers, he must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for the sins of others. Why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. And why do we need him to do that? Why do we need Jesus to come and live and die and rise and ascend? Because we were hopeless. We were without hope and without reconciliation with the one who made us. And the one who is above everything came and lived and died and rose to reconcile us and then ascended and now rules and reigns while we wait for his return. The way Paul describes the good news of the gospel is he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The hope of the gospel is that the one who is above everything has done everything so that you can have everything. We had nothing, including hope. We were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But Christ, Paul says, has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Y'all, that's everything. The one who created us so loved us and wanted relationship with us that he laid down everything for us, including his life, so that we could enjoy his acceptance and his approval and his adoption for eternity. And those are unimaginable riches. The very relationship for which we were created, that we lost because of sin, has been restored by Jesus. 
The root cause of every ounce of sorrow and struggle and suffering in the world and in our lives, the very source of our hopelessness and our alienation from God has once and for all been taken away by Jesus. If we have him, we have everything. Everything is found in the one who is above everything and has done everything so we could have everything. And still there's more. Because Jesus is the creator and the redeemer of all creation, he is going to inherit the totality of the redeemed and renewed and restored cosmos. And the Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with him. So we literally get everything. The hope of the gospel is that the one who is above everything and has done everything so that we could have everything and we can also overcome everything. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. When we are deeply rooted in the hope of the gospel, it brings stability and steadfastness to our lives. We are unshifting Come what may. When we know that Christ who is above everything and has done everything to give us everything in him, we can overcome anything and everything. No matter what happens, we can hold on to the hope that does not disappoint. When we struggle, when we sorrow, when we suffer, we can come back again and again to the sure and steadfast hope that never wavers. Jesus is and will always be the one who is above everything. He is the one who holds all things together even when it feels like everything is falling apart. He is the one who is ruling and reigning over the circumstances of your life for your good. He is the one who lived and died and rose and reigns for you. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I don't know, for some of you I do know, but for many of you I don't, what it is that the Lord is calling you to walk through. But I know that it's rarely easy. And I know that for a great many of us, the valley of the shadow of death is an incredibly near reality. And the hopelessness that comes when we walk in the deepness of dark shadows is an ever-present threat. And I want you to to hear today if that is you, or, or today if you are someone who does not even know yet that God is for you, that he loves you, that he came and lived and died and rose again so that you could have everything. I want you to hear very clearly The hope of the gospel is that the one who is above everything has done everything so you can have everything and overcome everything. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the way that Paul so clearly points us to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would take his word And that you would use it to point us to Jesus. Lord, that we would dwell on. That we would meditate on. That we would exult in. 
that we would celebrate who he is and what he has done for us. And Lord, I pray that the hope of the gospel, the hope that only comes through the reconciliation between creator and creature, the only hope that comes through Jesus, Lord, I pray that it would fill us up to overflowing. Lord, so that not only would we want to worship you and praise you as we have been doing this hour, uh, Lord, but that we would want to go out into the world and tell other people that the one who is above everything has done everything so you can have everything and overcome everything. And Lord, I pray that for those especially today that are walking through a difficult season, that are feeling hopeless or near to hopeless, Lord, I pray today that the real hope of the gospel would meet them in their need, Lord, that it would lift them up and that they would once again find ultimate hope in Jesus, Lord, and that that would spread to every area of their lives. Lord, I pray today that you would give us boldness and courage with the hope of the gospel, that we could share Jesus who he is and what he's done with our neighbors. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.